Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today this is um, a very unique show. We haven't covered this before, and um, it is an absolutely heartbreaking topic. I hope we can shed some light on things and get some interest regenerated in this case. So my guest today is the lovely Noel Rodriguez. I know you from Whiskey Beer and Conspiracies. Um, very famous over there, and uh, rightly so, because you do some amazing work, some amazing investigative work, um, and have a lot of articles for them. So, my dear, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, thank you very much for having me, Janet. I am fine, thankfully, doing well. Uh, glad to be on the show. I've heard a lot about Deplorable Janet, Deplorable Nation. <laughs> and uh, again, I'm, I'm so glad to be on here. Thanks for allowing me to share today. Absolutely. So today um, we are going to discuss a nasty little cover up by the U.S. military um, of a young lady, beautiful young lady, uh, Lavina Johnson. And so I am going to let you dive into this because this case has so many ugly things about it. Oh, yeah. And do not be afraid to say anything on this show. I don't censor. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, so again, Janet, uh, very, very important um, that we continue to keep this case in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. um, this is a case that goes back as, uh, as far as 2005. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's been a lot of uh, investigation into the case. There's been a lot of developments. However, uh, the Pentagon still has this case under lock and seal. Mm -hmm. um, and the cause of death is still classified as suicide, even mm -hmm. though the information that I I lost your sound. Well, this is not a good okay. thing. There we go. Uh, there we go. <laughs> okay, now I now I didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> Other oh than goodness. the Pentagon still has this under lock and seal and it's yes. still classified as a suicide, still which classified. it definitely is not. <clears throat> Definitely not. In fact, the information that uh, I'm going to share with your audience today will clearly point to a massive cover-up of the murder of mm -hmm. Private First Class Lavina Johnson. Right. So um, I uh, I got aware of this case um, during the investigation into the murder of another United States uh, soldier, Private First Class Vanessa Guillen. I I um, wanted to talk about her today as well. Fantastic. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some information that we can go over about uh, Private First Class Vanessa Guillen, another mm -hmm. absolutely tragic and horrific case. What happened to her uh, while in the custody of the United States military was abhorrent. I mean, mm -hmm. it is just absolutely mind-blowing what was allowed to happen. And um, yeah, uh, certainly a case that, that um, we, we should keep in the spotlight as well, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, her family was able to push uh, so hard for accountability and justice that they were recently able to help change the uniform code of military justice. Amen. Which, uh, absolutely. Which, you know, if, if you have any um, uh, former or current military uh, that mm -hmm. are listening now, they'll know how, uh, 
how difficult you know that's been for decades decades okay. right so um i uh i created this report based off of um a number of sources particularly from mr john h johnson which is lavina johnson's father mm -hmm. uh an incredible man i mean the the fortitude and strength that he's been able to show not just for himself but for the members of his family who were deeply affected by the death of Lavina is just otherworldly. I mean, it's phenomenal. And uh, there's a quote that um, I included in this report that simply says, uh, I will fight on, I will fight on to keep her story alive. And uh, the gentleman is now in his uh, early 70s and uh, he is still fighting. And again, this is a case that began in 2005. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long time. And long time. <clears throat> the amount of attacks um i was looking into one of the uh lead investigators oh, yeah. in in her story and the amount of attacks that were uh arranged by the federal government is disturbing mm -hmm. and disgusting I, absolutely both both i mean um we'll we'll get into it at the very end of the report mm -hmm. but uh, one of the investigators that came on um, around 2010, uh, a highly esteemed um, attorney out of Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. He was recently uh, charged and um, arrested. He's doing five years in prison now, him and his son, for a trumped up charge of fraud. And this is a man who uh, has a 40 year career, successful career in litigating corruption mm -hmm. um, at the local and state level. And, uh, you know, as soon as he was able to identify the primary suspect in the death of Lavina Johnson. Uh, he was attacked by every single three-letter organization, um, any organization that had uh, um, authority on the local and state level. And right. as a result, uh, as a result, he's now serving five years in prison. And doesn't that kind of sound like the times that we're living in right now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Political persecution. Mm -hmm. um, you have high-ranking members in the government that are attacking their their opponents, that are attacking people who criticize them or who highlight uh, things about their past or their career. It is a very, very disturbing time, to say the least. Exactly. So tell me, tell me a little bit about Lavina's background, like sure. how she grew up, what she aspired to do. Tell me about that. Okay, definitely, definitely. In fact, um, I'd like to jump in now uh, directly into the report. I'll start off with a brief introduction, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, allow me to begin by stating that by no means am I an expert on the topic at hand, nor am I privy to any information that is not already available to the public. Mm -hmm. The topic I'll be discussing has been defined and reported by many intelligent men and women with years of experience in highlighting critical issues such as this for decades. Their firsthand knowledge and experience placed them in high regard among those with comparable stories of grief and heartache. Now, I'm a citizen journalist that's guided by the principles of my heart, and I'm a man who feels that for too long we have been blind to the pain and suffering that exists around us. I'm a descendant of courageous men who fought to preserve the dignity and sovereignty of our country, and I harbor a deep and resounding respect for those who serve in the armed forces. I'm the son of a strong woman who made no excuses in life and up until her last breath was unwavering in her faith to God and to country. So my sense of duty is not limited to military service. Now, my intention with this report is simply to keep out of the shadows that which certain elements of society would like to keep obscured by darkness. I want to keep the names of those who deserve justice fresh on our minds 
so that they may live through our memories and their fight may continue. Now, it is my sincere hope that allies join me, that allies join the deplorable nation, and that survivors unite in the defense of victims worldwide so that in this common mission, we find purpose, strength, and the courage to stand by our convictions that evil must not be allowed to continue unchallenged. Amen to that. There was a man named John Stuart Mill in 1867 who stated that bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I'll begin. Uh, in 2020, our nation and the entire world was thrown into chaos due to the Wuhan virus. Despite human coronavirus existing for over 50 years and common coronaviruses infecting people much like influenza and the common cold, we were told that this new variant would do irreparable harm to the world and that many would die as a result. With mainstream media peddling trepidation on a constant basis, many of us feared for the worst and prepared for such a scenario. What we did not realize was that as this pandemic jumped from continent to continent and from one moment to the next, there was another secret yet equally fatal epidemic that was decimating a population within a population for decades. Military violence, plaguing our bases and soldiers were dying at alarming rates. The most fascinating aspect of this epidemic was that many soldiers were no longer in active armed conflict, and yet suicide was ruled as the predominating cause of death. What was happening? What were we not told about the severity of this deadly plague infecting the US military for so long? How could all of these young, strong, duty-bound Americans be committing suicide while on active duty at rates that were described as shocking? Mm -hmm. Why were many of these victims disproportionately women? Government research highlighted, in, highlighted by an investigative reporter named Alan Zarembo, which was compiled over the span of 11 years, noted that female military veterans commit suicide at six times the rate of other women. Their suicide rate is so high that Dr. Matthew Miller, an epidemiologist and suicide expert at Northeastern University, called the data staggering. He emphasized that we have to come to grips with why the rates are so obscenely high. The startling findings pose some disturbing questions about the backgrounds and experiences of women who serve in the armed forces. An article from the Pentagon estimated that 10% of active duty women were raped and another 13% were subjected to unwanted sexual contact. A 2012 survey by the Department of Defense found that 23% of active duty women had experienced unwanted sexual contact. Now, though it is not clear, according to them, what is driving these deeply concerning rates, cases such as that of U.S. Army Private First Class Lavina Johnson, who died in Ballot, Iraq in 2005, certainly raised significant questions on whether these suicides are being properly investigated, properly classified, or simply covered up. Mm -hmm. Now, the following, the following report will highlight the disturbing set of circumstances behind the death of Levine Johnson. Her death was labeled a suicide, but her, but her family, excuse me, calls it a murder and a cover-up by the U.S. Army. Now, you will uh, be presented with gruesome detail the findings of medical examiners, as well as those of a private investigative team headed by PFC Johnson's father and uncle. The details will trigger you. And though the case remains unsolved and still classified a suicide, the Johnson family suspects that the murder or murderers include top brass within the U.S. Army. Now, I warn you, the details you're about to hear are graphic, but if we're ever to get to the bottom of this case and others, we must bear the burden of every uncomfortable detail so that we can learn how to fight against it. So, uh, Janet, you asked about um, Lavina Johnson in particular and her background. Um, you know, like, like many people in this country, uh, she simply wanted to commit herself to the service of others. 
And um, in the first uh, chapter, we'll go into that background um, and just how truly altruistic she was as a human being and um, how tragic it is for a person like this to no longer be with us. Uh, she had such potential. Um, she was raised to, to, uh, to contribute to society. Uh, she was raised in a well-disciplined home, a, a hardworking middle-class family. And um, it's, it's really, really heartbreaking because her background is so familiar to many of us. You know, mm -hmm. Many of our sons and daughters are exactly like this. We watched them grow. We, we watch their achievements, we encourage their successes, and um, uh, truly heartbreaking to know that a person like this is no longer with us. Can I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. What, um, what got you interested in not only this case, but uh, uh, Guillen? So what was it that, that sparked your interest? Do you have like military family background or... Great question. And uh, yes, my my uh, great grandfather actually served with the uh, with the highly segregated 65th uh, unit in Korea. Uh, my grandfather served with the United States Army. Uh, he was stationed for the most part in Germany. I believe it was Illishheim, Germany, if I'm mm -hmm. correct. Um, and my father, uh, who died young at 22 years old, he was in law school, so he wanted to become a lawyer. And uh, he wanted to actually focus on providing defense for um, people in the military, uh, veterans who came out of the military and were having issues with the uh, with the VA mm -hmm. or having, uh, uh, you know, any kind of issues uh, pertaining to uh, the government or uh, resources that were uh, not provided to uh, military veterans. So again, and there's there's a huge problem with that still. To oh, absolutely. Day. To, to this day, absolutely to this day, even with uh, increased funding that um, former President uh, uh, Trump allotted to the VA, we still have some huge, huge problems within that that organization. And it's terrible uh, mm -hmm. considering how many veterans we still have that are suffering from homelessness, that are suffering from high suicide rates, right. um, uh, mental instability and, and, and other issues. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, again, uh, you know, that was a great question. So, you know, my family has always, um, you know, despite challenges that they've gone through in their lives, um, you know, beginning with uh, being in a segregated military unit, uh, they still love the country. You know, they still wanted to create that American dream for me and, and the heirs that, that came, uh, you know, after them. So I've always had a deep and profound respect for the people who, who wear the uniform, our brothers and sisters who make the ultimate sacrifice. Right. Um, you know, I was a teenager when 9-11 happened and uh, I had many friends who went into the military and uh, decided that they wanted to answer the call uh, to protect the country. And, uh, you know, like millions and millions of us across the country, what happened on 9-11 was uh, deeply impactful. Right. And so, you know, though I wasn't able to join the military myself, you know, I was I wasn't always uh, a good boy. I was a knucklehead for a little while. <laughs> and so I kind of li limited my options back then. <laughs> But, um, I think we all have some kind of uh, background <laughs> we're not super happy about. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, you have to be young and stupid before you're old and wise, right? That, that's the right. same. Right, exactly. That must be why we're so smart today, right? I get, yeah, <laughs> you know, they, they limited the amount of lead in the water, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, um Going forward to the case of, of Vanessa Guillen, I was profoundly, profoundly impacted by the case of Vanessa Guillen. So she had disappeared uh, in April 
of 2020. And uh, I celebrated a birthday on the following June of 2020. And I, I wasn't aware of the case at all. Uh, I woke up early that morning on my birthday, uh, June 12th, uh, with plans of, you know, getting ready, getting the kids ready and just enjoying a day out with the family. And I wound up turning turning the news on uh, 6 a.m. And uh, the very first person I saw on the news was uh, Vanessa Guillen's mother and older sister. And uh, they were at Fort Hood and they had amassed a group of people there um, and they wanted to know what had happened to Vanessa, who, who had disappeared. Uh, they mm -hmm. still had not found her by this by this time. Um, what I heard that morning literally changed my life. Uh, to hear um, Gloria Guillen, uh, Vanessa's Guillen mother, pleading uh, to members of the United States military to give her answers, uh, to just tell them where her daughter was. Um, I mean, it, it struck me in the deepest place in my heart imaginable. Um, from that day on, uh, I could not stop researching the case. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I had every screen, every monitor, uh, every cell phone, every radio in the house tuned on to every news outlet possible. Um, I started looking into, you know, DOD database, Department of Justice database for any update. And I just amassed a huge collection of information about this case. Um, from there, I went deep down a rabbit hole and I started finding information about other cases of, uh, of uh, military uh, servicemen and women who were just you know, dying in these strange, incredible ways and the military just saying, oh, suicide, mm -hmm. suicide. I mean, some of these cases, you don't have to be a law professional. You don't have to be someone that's actively litigating cases or investigating murders to see that there was some strange shit, excuse me, going on here. I right. mean, highly, Absolutely. highly unusual. Janet, and it, that was, it was phenomenal. And I just want to tell people, um, when I heard him mention Lavina's story on on uh, White Rabbit, uh, I contacted him and I had actually told him that um, I knew about the Vanessa Guillen case because I, everybody knows, I'm such a huge nerd of watching Forensic Files. And yeah. I love that show. And uh, Vanessa's case was actually on there. And mm -hmm. I was so disturbed mm -hmm. at watching that show and what had happened and, you know, the the amount of fight in her family oh, yeah. just to light a fire under the ass of our government to do mm -hmm. something was was outstanding to me absolutely absolutely i mean <clears throat> I, I i i'm familiar as a hispanic man uh i'm familiar with the uh strength and fervor of uh, a hispanic female mm -hmm. but what, what they did <laughs> that's an understatement <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know like you said what they did was literally light a fire under the ass of the united states government i actually um was compelled to drive down to washington when they marched to the white house to petition uh, President Donald Trump to uh, uh, initiate or to force the um, Armed Services Committee to to start an investigation, um, mm -hmm. you know, to urge a congressional investigation. And right. uh, let me tell you, uh, that was another life 
changing event. I, you know, I'll never be the same from that day on. You know, what I felt there, um, I had never felt before in my life. Uh, well, you know, since the birth of my children, and that was a, a time of joy. Um, but but it was deeply meaningful sense of joy. And then, you know, to march with the family down in Washington for something that was the opposite of celebrating life, but to feel just so deeply impacted, I, I can't even truly describe that feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, listening to not only uh, the Guians, um, but listening to uh, military service men and women who came down there and shared their stories right. of, of, of um, you know, just trauma within the military, particularly uh, uh, a woman who later on became a friend of mine. I didn't realize that she was also down there from the state of New Jersey where I had lived at the time. And her name was Lucy Delgadio. And uh, Lucy Delgadio, um, she actually testified before Congress about her experience in the military and the sexual trauma that she suffered. And um, it was because of her story and the work of uh, 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 Representative Jackie Spears that they were able to uh, enforce and to enhance the fight of the Guillens until they were ultimately successful in, in getting the I am Vanessa Guillen Act of 2020 passed. Um, and just, you know, just highly, highly impactful and, and highly profound. Uh, and I think there's so much more that needs to be done. That oh, yes. is a, definitely a step in the right direction. But mm-hmm. I think that, and uh, the people are probably going to be really pissed at me for saying this, but I don't really care. Um, it's been a good old boys club for such a long time that I think when they allowed women into the military, they saw that as an absolute ripe opportunity to harass, um, sexualize, sexually abuse, you know, molest, whatever you want to call it, and, and get away with it. Because there are no laws on the books, and there were no laws on the books at that time governing conduct mm-hmm. against a, a female in the military. Correct. Correct. I mean, it was uh, up until recently, you know, that type of, of behavior was uh, considered uh, um, just that, a misbehavior. It wasn't treated exactly. as an actual crime. Mm-hmm. Slap on the wrist. Yeah. So, you know, there may be people who are upset about that comment, but there are also a large amount of people who uh, agree with mm-hmm. that comment. And I mean, the, the evidence, you know, points to that fact being unequivocally true. Right. And, uh, you know. So with that, let's let's go ahead and jump into who exactly Lavina Johnson was, because, again, okay. you know, I, I can't express more how much of a tragedy it is for a person like this to you know, not be with us today. Right. So um, born in Missouri on July 27th, 1985, Lavina Lynn Johnson was one of five children and the first of two girls, a beloved member of the tight knit Johnson family. Remembered as a very friendly and compassionate child, she would spend much of her time playing and listening to music with her three older brothers and loving father. A cherished memory spoken of many times by her parents was that Lavina would spend so much time on the family's homemade swing that she would often fall asleep while swinging. Her parents would have a laugh together while watching her from the porch until her father, Dr. Johnson, would carry her off to bed. An indication that Lavina was special came as early as when she was four months old. She was named Baby of the Year by the congregation of the Walnut Park Church, where the family worshipped. At four years old, she would begin singing for the church choir and performed during the holiday programs on Christmas and Easter, practicing each night 
until she memorized every hymn. Now, very early on, Levine exhibited the signs of a natural leader when every Sunday morning she would get up earlier than her siblings, making sure that every family member was awake and with plenty of time to get ready to attend church. She took her role as a big sister seriously and proudly led her younger sister by the hand wherever they went. At five years old, she began attending first grade at Keevan Elementary School and immediately became a staff favorite, earning honor roll certificates throughout her time there. In the fourth grade, she began violin lessons and would practice every night, simply wanting to be the best at everything she did. For the next four years, she would perform in several school concerts and was well known in her community for being an excellent student and an all around phenomenal young lady. Her academic excellence was further proven outstanding when a science fair project she, she submitted, excuse me, was recognized and honored at the state level. But academics wasn't all that Levine enjoyed. She also took up track, martial arts, and physical fitness meant a lot to her. At 11 years old, she became a member of Vegetarian Economy and Green Agriculture, or VEGA, which is an organization that advocates for alternative forms of food other than farm animals. From an incredibly early age, Lavina showed love and compassion for everything she set sight on, and she carried this deep sense of compassion and purpose into early adulthood. Some of the cherished memories that her family would share include Lavina insisting that immediately after Thanksgiving, she began decorating the Christmas tree. She and her younger sister would then proceed to decorate the entire house with Lavina designating specific jobs for her eager and willing siblings. On her parents' anniversaries, Lavina and her sister, who had learned to play the flute, would play music for them over a candlelight dinner that she cooked. It became an honor tradition for them to serenade their parents with an appropriate song as they enjoyed dinner together. The love Lavina had for her family was profound and unwavering and felt by every one of the Johnsons. In junior high school, Lavina would spend two years earning awards and certificates for her many accomplishments, including a certificate of academic recognition from then Congressman William Lacey Clay. Now, uh, just a side note, William Lacey Clay is actually going to play a big role in the investigations after um, her death. Now, uh, Lavina earned a stellar reputation among students and staff alike. She was highly admired and became known as a dependable student and friend. By the time she began attending Hazelwood High School, she was already an, an accomplished, excuse me, violinist, academic scholar, sports athlete, and treasured member of her community. Everyone had only remarkable things to say about her. She would attend every high school sporting event with her father and various other school events with her mother and siblings. Lavina had matured to a point of knowing exactly what she wanted to do with her life. And before completing high school, she made three specific goals for her future. First, Lavina wanted to attend college and major in performing arts with dreams of becoming a movie producer. You see, her father, Dr. Johnson, had written several fiction novels, and her goal was to one day produce a screenplay adaptation of one of his books. Her oldest brother, John, had written over 30 songs and was forming a music company. So upon graduating, goal number two was to create a family-run music and film company to highlight the many talents of the Johnsons. Her third goal included continuing with community issues that she held near and dear to her heart regarding the ethical treatment of animals, feeding the hungry, fundraising for cancer research, recycling initiatives, and blood and plasma donation. So audience, as you could clearly see, Lavina was a deeply altruistic human being. Her next decision would be the direct result of that altruism, but would ultimately change the course of the Johnson family history. Now, knowing that attending college would impose added financial burden on her parents, Lavina suggested that she would earn the funding by enlisting in the U.S. Army. As the world had recently been thrust into the war with Al-Qaeda and the Taliban over the tragic events of September 11th, she was compelled to commit to the service of her country. 
she convinced her parents, who were against the decision outright, that not only would she follow in the footsteps of her father, himself a veteran, but that in seeing the world, it would allow her to add more experience and even more knowledge to her life goals. They understood that Lavina was a woman undaunted and would set out to achieve anything she put her mind to. And apprehensively, they supported her decision to enlist in May of 2004. After graduating with full honors from Hazelwood High School, she enlisted in the U.S. Army. She attended basic training at Fort Jackson in South Carolina for eight weeks. It was no surprise then that her that at her graduation ceremony, Lavina's parents were told by her drill sergeants that they could tell she was raised in a disciplined home and that she was mentally tough and was often used as a role model to both female and male soldiers. Within nine months of enlisting, Lavina was employed, uh, I'm sorry, deployed to Joint Base Ballot in Ballot, Iraq with the 129th Corps Support Division. After only six weeks abroad, tragedy would strike and with devastating brutality. So chapter one basically just highlights, you know, uh, some of the memories that the parents shared uh, about Lavina growing up um, and just, you know, how this person progressed as a human being in life. And, uh, you know, again, I, I can't lament enough how, how just truly devastating it must have been for the family to get news that, you know, this person so full of life is, you know, smart woman, uh, physically capable, you know, she was... Uh, she was maybe five one, but she was, you know, so tough. And uh, again, you know, according to her drill sergeants over at, at Fort Jackson during graduation, you know, they would use her as an example for both male and female soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because we know there are only two genders. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is not in question on my show. <laughs> good, very, very good. And I thought not. I thought not. Just wanted to throw that in there. But um, yeah, so I mean, you know, she she was just a highly motivated individual. I mean, you know, from from very early on, she would, you know, th think of how hard it is to get a four year old to be highly concentrated on one thing. I have a three year old now. Right. And, you know, even putting 800 crayons in front of her and a stack of coloring books, you know, she's going through each page, a couple lines here, a couple lines there. So. I'm just going to you know. say uh, I have an adult child and it is very <laughs> difficult to get her to focus uh, on the same thing to completion at once. Yes. So, it doesn't you know. get any better. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just, just to imagine um, little Lavina Johnson, you know, every night memorizing, you know, her music to, to then go and perform in front of the choir and and you know just be so well received by her community i, I mean you know it's it's heartbreaking it's and you absolutely know, heartbreaking. you know it's it's such an awful story but even just only being there for six weeks oh. before this happened mm -hmm. is just absolutely undescribable absolutely absolutely and uh so a, a, a very important fact that we'll touch up on, and this was also mentioned by um, Lavina's father. Are you familiar with the battle buddy system? Yes. So for anyone in the audience who may not be familiar with the battle buddy system, it is simply the pairing of soldiers of the same sex for mutual assistance and support. Mm -hmm. And this was something that was, uh, you know, always adopted within the military when women started to serve in the armed forces, but it was really ramped up um, post 9-11. Right. And uh, 
the really sad thing about this was that for six weeks, Lavina was not paired up with a battle buddy. She was literally alone. She was 6,600 miles away in, in, you know, based on a foreign land, surrounded by men with no, at the very least, moral support. You know, she did have some friends there, uh, female friends who served, but I mean, she had no assigned battle buddy, which is- You know, and after, after reading <clears throat> about this case, I can't help but think that was purposeful. Mm. Like she was absolutely targeted from mm. the get-go. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, that, that's even worse to fathom. Now, imagine mm -hmm. the grief of the family being amplified by, you know, questions or, or right. ideas like that. You know, it's just right. it's, it's unfathomable almost. Right. So with, with that, Janet, we'll go into chapter two, um, which I've titled What Happened in Ballad, Iraq. <clears throat> now, there's no pain equal to the pain experienced by a parent who suffers the loss of a child. The emptiness that exists within the heart and soul of parents who grieve from these deeply impactful experiences is carried throughout life and is a wound that can never fully heal. It's hard to imagine that grief being amplified by unanswered questions or answers that only add to mounting doubt and confusion. In the case of Lavina Johnson, uh, how could this young private so full of life and dreams have been killed in such a worse way? And even worse still, how is it that her death was ruled a suicide when autopsy reports show much more? The following chapter will go over every action taken by Dr. Johnson, his brother, and the private investigative team that they convened to get to the truth of what happened to Lavina. The details of her premature death are beyond comprehension. On Sunday morning, July 17, 2005, Lavina spoke to her parents to advise them of some important developments. First, that her unit would be rotating back to the United States within three to four months. Second, that she would be stationed at a U.S. base for approximately one year until deploying back to Iraq. Third, was that she was starting a new job. However, she would need to attend the class that following Monday to ascertain what that new job was and would follow up with a call home on Tuesday. Lastly, and most importantly, she said that she would complete her time in Iraq and return home to attend college. In her own words, she said, this is what I should have done in the first place. Now, was this a statement in some way indicative of a problem that she was having? Her family believe it was. Mm -hmm. And this conversation would be the last between Levina and her parents. Two people who were stationed with Levina in Iraq and who would ultimately become witnesses for Dr. Johnson's investigative team stated, that when they knocked on Lavina's door that Sunday evening after this phone call, she did not answer. The same two witnesses returned the following Monday morning on July the 18th to accompany her to class, but again, Lavina did not answer. By 10 a.m. that morning, when Lavina did not report to class, the two witnesses reported her missing. According to Dr. Johnson, it is likely that she was murdered shortly after their phone call on Sunday the 17th. At 7.30 a.m. on Tuesday, July the 19th, a member of the U.S. Army would visit the Johnson home to report that Lavina had committed suicide. They would provide no specific details other than that she died of a self-inflicted wound. Dr. Johnson would be forced to find out on his own that his daughter's death was the result of a gunshot wound to the head, among other things. That Tuesday morning, upon seeing a soldier on the steps of their home, Dr. Johnson knew something terrible would happen to Lavina and expressed this to his wife, who refused to believe that it could be true. They opened the door and invited the soldier to step into the foyer. To the Johnson's surprise, there was not an officer or a chaplain present, but a staff sergeant. 
A slight relief came over Dr. Johnson, who thought that it could not have been serious if a staff sergeant was present. However, the staff sergeant stated that he had a message that came directly from the Secretary of Defense, who at the time was Donald Rumsfeld, and that their daughter, Lavina Lynn Johnson, had died. The Johnsons were in a state of shock. Mrs. Johnson collapsed to the floor. Dr. Johnson fell back onto the steps leading upstairs and for five minutes sat speechless while the staff, staff sergeant stared stoically at them both. Mrs. Johnson's grief-stricken cries woke up Lavina's siblings who rushed to the sound of their mother. She was inconsolable and uttered words that no mother should be burdened to say. Someone killed my baby. Someone killed my beautiful baby. Now in a statement presented to, in a, I'm sorry, in a statement presented by Christopher Gray, the chief of public affairs for the military's criminal investigation division, the armed services medical examiner performed an autopsy while Lavina's unit and the CID conducted separate investigations. Though he expressed a willingness to reopen the case upon receipt of any new evidence, he would continue to stand by the conclusion that Lavina died of self-inflicted wounds. Highly suspicious of that conclusion, Dr. Johnson ordered that his daughter's body be sent back home immediately. After seeing the body of his daughter, he knew without a doubt that the determinations made by the initial autopsy, as well as the Army's Criminal Investigation Division, were wrong and that Lavina was brutally murdered. Now, Janet, before we go into, uh, into Chapter 3, which highlights the Johnson investigation, I want to um, talk a little bit about the dates here. Mm -hmm. So the, the time that Lavina last contacted her father, right, which was the 17th, to the time that this staff sergeant went to the house to give the family this terrible news, how was it that the investigative bodies of the military had already concluded their investigation and determined that she died from suicide? Mm -hmm. That's a very good I mean, question. That must have been literally the quickest investigation in the history of murders in the I, military or in the private sector it was kind of lightning speed like the epstein um suicide right ruled uh, a suicide immediately <clears throat> absolutely immediately mm -hmm. yeah one one news cycle they already had all the details covered mm -hmm. i mean then then think about it you know lavina's death happened over six thousand miles away okay so within this, the span of literally a day and a half, they were able to conduct this investigation. They were able to go through the body of evidence. They were able to conduct an autopsy, communicate their findings to um, the staff sergeant's base, and then have him deliver that news to Lavinia Johnson. Here's a question. <clears throat> Or here's a side note on that, um, which we'll get into the details. But um, one of the things that makes zero sense in that is the ballistics test. Oh, the, yes. the ballistics tests don't happen that rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, and so for them to already be like, oh, nope, definitely a suicide. Um, was a ballistics test even conducted? So from, from what I've been able to uh, find, what I've been able to hear um, from the interviews that uh, Dr. Johnson had on places like the Rock Newman show, mm -hmm. um, it was just, 
it was just a botched investigation from go. Right. Uh, evidence was either totally disregarded. Evidence was tampered with. And, um, you know, even today, we will not be able to know the full extent of what happened during those initial few hours after her death and when they found her body. Well, Terrible. and here's something that um, made me question because I was reading um, some more reports on it today from um, an investigative journalist. I think his last name was Watkins. Oh, yes, um, yes, Donald Watkins. Yeah. yeah, that was talking about um, the gun that was found in the tent was an M16. And the bullet that was found in her was a nine millimeter. So from so so here's a very important a very important fact. There was never a bullet actually found. They do believe right, not in not in the tent. <clears throat> well, you know, if if we were able to find the bullet that was found in Lavina Johnson's body, then we can trace that bullet back to a particular weapon or a serial code. However, Correct. very important it was fact, removed during Remember, autopsy mm -hmm. wink wink mm -hmm. so a part of a part of um lavina's tongue was was surgically removed and uh, why would they need to remove a part of lavina's tongue well donald watkins who again was the investigator who came aboard uh, in 2010 mm -hmm. that's now serving mysteriously five years in prison right. for a trumped up charge of fraud he calculated that the trajectory of the shot that came in over Lavina's left eye, okay, mm -hmm. on the top of the head, would have lodged itself into the tongue. Right. Okay. So Lavina's tongue, again, was surgically removed mm -hmm. during the Army's initial autopsy. Mm -hmm. They've never been able to get that portion of tongue. It's not sitting in a mason jar full of formaldehyde. It, it is literally gone. And so it, they. Believe I think it must be with Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh yeah, the FBI definitely has it uh, stored mm -hmm. right. It's it's Lavina Johnson's um, portion oh. of her tongue and the Biden laptop, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, Jeffrey Epstein's black book. Exactly, they're all they're together. They're in the same crate. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean, you know, this is just stunning, Janet. How how can this be? I mean, you know, th this is evidence. This is um, um, what is the charge when you uh, tamper with a body? You know, post mortem. You know, that's like a charge. You know, you can you could you can be held criminally liable for doing that if you were a well, person like <clears throat> unless you're um a high up military uh officer that orders uh the military doctor to uh tamper with evidence. Yes, ma'am. Or hey, yes, when you cut that tongue off, uh make sure you give that to me. And whoopsie, it just Magical dragon came down and just took it back up into space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. And you make a fantastic point there. And this is something that we'll highlight as we continue on in the report. Because, well, yeah. and two, I want to tell people um, just from I used to work uh, in the coroner's office. I was an autopsy assistant. Mm. And so the autopsy itself is very lengthy. Because you measure, you weigh every organ, you know, all that other stuff. Um, and then they do the forensics 
on the crime scene to where they have to measure the bullet trajectory. They're supposed to uh, sweep for fingerprints, which that wasn't done either. Uh, gunshot residue testing, uh, which that wasn't done either. Um, and all kinds of things that should have been done that take a lot of time. So again, there's zero chance that all of these things could have happened for the for the military to be on the front porch to notify the family that this is what happened. Within they did days. not have proper time to look into that at all. Not no. at all. Not at all. I, I imagine someone coming in with a very large broom and another person holding up a rug. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, so with that, Janet, we'll go into a chapter three. I've titled the Johnson investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, as you as you just stated, all of the physical and forensic evidence available to military investigators suggested that Lavina was murdered. Mm-hmm. However, these investigators shamelessly chose to disregard the evidence and instead classify Private Johnson's death as a suicide outright. Mm-hmm. Dr. Johnson believed that the Army's findings were flawed because he says, which is obvious, that the death was investigated immediately as a suicide and not as a homicide. Mm-hmm. All the information from the army was vague and contradictory, and Dr. Johnson believed none of it. Like any father would do, I know I would. He took matters into his own hands and formed his own investigative team, enlisting the help of family members like his brother, who had studied criminal science, and later the help of, as you mentioned, attorney Donald Watkins of Alabama. Mm -hmm. It was actually Dr. Johnson's brother, Lavina's uncle, who labeled Lavina's death a homicide when he found that Lavina's neck had been broken. She had a baseline fracture mm-hmm. and her shoulder was dislocated. It was then our, it was then attorney Watkins who would single out a primary suspect. And so for eight years, they poured over the investigation documents. They studied every horrifying photograph. They analyzed each witness statement. Dr. Johnson once told the media that he had suspicions about his daughter's death, even as she was being buried with military honors at Jackson Barracks National Cemetery. When he demanded to see the Army's evidence, they initially denied him. He had to file a freedom of information request and enlist the help of Congressman William Lacey Clay, who I mentioned earlier, right. that, that years earlier had presented Lavina with a certificate of recognition for her scholarly achievements, remember? Mm-hmm. In a statement to St. Louis Public Radio, Congressman Clay said that his staff devoted hundreds of hours to helping the Johnson family discover the truth about the case, including helping them obtain the original autopsy reports and photos. Private uh, Private First Class Johnson gave her life for her country, and her country has an obligation to tell her family the whole truth about her death, Congressman Clay said. It was Congressman Clay who suggested that Dr. Johnson have Levina's body exhumed and a second autopsy performed. Dr. Johnson never minced words. He said that he was positive that his daughter was raped and murdered and her death covered up. Johnson said he had to find the strength to look at the autopsy photos of his daughter and to examine her body before the funeral. In 2007, after the suggestions of Congressman Clay, he made another difficult decision in having Lavina's body exhumed for an independent autopsy. There were some extremely difficult things I had to do, he said. Johnson disputed everything about the Army's conclusion he says her commanding officer described her as happy and healthy. So why would she suddenly want to kill herself? Mm-hmm. He contends that her arms were too short and that she could not have shot herself with her M16 rifle and that the wound in her head was too small to have been made by an M16. Mm-hmm. 
He says the pictures tell him that Lavina had been brutally beaten. There was no suicide note, and the bullet that killed her was never found. Mm -hmm. All of us cannot be wrong about the evidence that we have compiled. It is awful, awful, awful compelling, Johnson says. And unfortunately, Lavina got lost in all of this and just lost everything trying to be a good American citizen. Dr. Johnson remains as convinced today as he was 17 years ago that his daughter did not and would not commit suicide and that her murder was covered up. He would later emphasize, but I am going to fight until I get justice for her. We are just going to keep doing what we can to keep her story alive. Now, Lavina was found dead in the tent of a military contractor with a trail of blood leading out of the tent and a bloody footprint was found on the scene. The army initially told the Johnsons that she was found in her barracks. She had a broken nose. She had a black eye. Her teeth were loose. She was found to have numerous bruises, teeth marks, scratches, and burns on her body. As we stated before, her neck was broken, her, her right shoulder dislocated. Lavina's genitals were burned with a corrosive chemical in an obvious attempt to cover up a rape. Lavina had a gunshot wound to the top left side of her skull above her left eye. A portion of her tongue had been removed. The Johnson's investigation found that there were even attempts to do plastic surgery to hide wounds to her nose and mouth. Despite the overwhelming evidence that Lavina was the victim of a heinous assault and brutal murder, the Army maintains that she killed herself with her own M16 rifle after receiving an email from a boyfriend allegedly breaking up with her. Lavina was 19 years old, 6,620 miles away from home, just 10 days shy of her 20th birthday. How in the world could anyone, let alone our own United States Army, look a family in the eye and claim that this soldier committed suicide in lieu of powerful evidence to the contrary? It is truly unfathomable. And yet today, in 2022, the Johnson family have yet to find out the truth. In 2020, I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, in 2010, Mr. Donald Watkins, a highly respected and esteemed attorney in Birmingham, Alabama, with a career spanning 43 years, came across the story of Lavina Johnson. As an investigator who had successfully litigated many cases of corruption and cover-up, he immediately identified discrepancies in the Army's explanation and reached out to Dr. Johnson. He did not solicit his service, but instead asked that he be allowed to review all of the documents that the Johnsons had collected since Lavina's murder and that as a dedicated father of five himself, he would offer a professional and deep analysis. The Johnsons agreed and sent over thousands of documents. Putting his own reputation and law license on the line, Mr. Watkins ultimately concluded and stated publicly that not only was Lavina Johnson's death a homicide, but that it was also a massive cover-up by the United States military. Mm -hmm. Lavina had no gunpowder residue anywhere on her body. If she had put the barrel of the M16 into her mouth, there would have been DNA on the barrel, and yet there was none. She had a cut on her finger large enough to have spilled blood on the trigger, and yet there was none of her blood on the trigger. Again, no bullet from the M16 was found. These were just a few of the details that led to Mr. Watkins' final analysis. In 2016, Mr. Watkins and Dr. Johnson would appear in an interview on The Rock Newman Show to explain in detail their findings. Now, a side note, in that same interview, 
Dr. Johnson will mention how during a segment of the Larry King talk show, the mother of late Army Ranger Pat Tillman would mention how the Army was in fact capable of covering up not only her son's homicide, but also Lavina Johnson's. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just going back to some of the details, and, and you mentioned a few of these before, Janet, how, how could all this evidence simply be dis discarded? Well, and I, I just want to bring this up because she is my height, my size. I have short arms. We have rifles. There's no way in hell that I could put that behind my head with the barrel as long as it is and still be able to reach that. And I would like to know what what made them think it was a good idea to rule this a suicide because I don't know any female that would knowingly, willingly burn her genitals with acid, number one, okay? I've seen that before um, working in the medical field. We had a lot of um, refugees that we took care of and stuff that, that had been uh, chemically burned like that because it's too take away your pleasure or your stimulation. Uh, genital mutilation is a big thing overseas. Mm -hmm. um, so I've seen a lot of that, but no, no female would willingly do that. Number two, if she had a fracture at the base of her skull, that would render her unable to lift her arms to touch the trigger in the first place. Completely. And, and, and how did she manage to dislocate her shoulder all while she's doing, was she having, did they, did they expect people to believe that this, all these, you know, and punched out her own teeth and broke her nose? Did the military think that people were going to buy this, that she did all this to herself? Incredibly. I mean, in some of the interviews that I saw of, of uh, Dr. Johnson, the military unequivocally stood by their initial conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Johnson, Lavina's father, asked that same question. How is it possible for her to do all this to herself? Mm -hmm. And they simply said, well, she managed to. She managed to. Yeah, no, um, that's that's it's not it is not medically possible for that to happen at all. Not only that, but remember, the, the Army initially stated that according to their investigation, she killed herself in the barracks, mm -hmm. right? Right. So you, you have to pick one. She How did she kill herself in the barracks and then drag herself to the military contractor's tent? Exactly. You know, there, there was a blood trail. She had bits of dirt on her on the back of her uniform, you mm -hmm. know, uh, I... I it's just phenomenal to me, the conclusion and, that was reached. So here's the thing from, from a forensics uh, standpoint, not only the trajectory of the bullet is an issue um, to be a suicide, but also where's the footprint? Where is the evidence for the bloody, bloody footprint mm -hmm. that was Correct. coming out of her tent? Did they do a DNA analysis of uh, the blood because blood spatter and blood drips are completely different size and shape. 
Um, so somebody walking out of the tent that had blood dripping from them, where's the DNA test from that? No fingerprints on the gun. No mm -hmm. gunpowder residue on Lavina anywhere. Exactly. Anywhere. I mean, incredible. Mm -hmm. And again, Dr. Johnson had to request the information through Freedom of Information Act mm -hmm. in order to compare the first autopsy to the second private autopsy that was done when they decided in 2007 to exhume her body. Right. I mean, well, and here's something that I found highly interesting when I was diving into this. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> because they had gotten so many requests, the Pentagon classified her suicide as a matter of national security, and then they placed it on a DLI list, which is a department-level interest. And that was done in 2014. Now get this. Um, all FOIA requests uh, that come in on this case now, because it's on the DLI list, have to be approved not only by the Secretary of Defense, but also the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Wow. According to the military's own uh, filings to be put on the DLI list, it has to meet these three things. Potential to create media interest um, was of interest to senior DOD leadership. Interesting, huh? And you're going to love this one. And it says, and involved current or previous DOD leadership. This wow. happened in 2014. So any information on this case now because it is involving current or previous DOD leadership is on this DLI list. So information has been shut down from that. Now I have a question um, and this is just me talking, but since uh, she was murdered and drug into the tent of a military contractor, um, I have to wonder if the contractor wasn't somebody uh, that the general now works for, if you know where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. Very good question indeed, Janet. I tried to dig in to find out if there was any way for me to secure information related to what companies may have been contracted to work closely with our military installations overseas, and I couldn't find anything. You won't be able to get that. Now, here's another thing. Um, in 2005, 85 service members, quote, wink, committed suicide. Her case is literally the only one on the DLI list at wow. all. Now, wow. why would that be? Well, you, you stated one of the three points was because it may involve uh, high-ranking members. Mm -hmm. Oh, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't say may. It says, was of interest to senior DOD leadership and involved current or previous 
DOD leadership. And mm. that is from the military's own thing about the DLI mm. list. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm. And um, you, you uh, pointed that out at a very perfect time because chapter four actually goes into who the primary suspect was. And this will be jaw dropping. Um, mm -hmm. uh, if, if the audience thought that the details of the case were mind blowing, um, the primary suspect is literally going to blow your mind, especially where we find him today. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I think we'll begin now by going into chapter four. And uh, <clears throat> again, um, before we do that, I, I just want to take a brief second to uh, address any um, former or current military uh, that you have in your audience now. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have allies. Uh, right. These, these situations may seem bleak. Uh, they may seem as though um, they're unchangeable, mm -hmm. but you, you have allies and you have people that are willing to dig in and dig in deep on right. your behalf. If you can no longer fight, if you feel that you've lost the will to, to combat this, I want to assure you that we have your back military allies nationwide mm -hmm. and and across across the world we have your back i have a deep respect for the people who committed to the service of their country and i will use whatever platform i have um, whatever uh, blessings god has gifted me with to to shed light on this because it is just it's simply not right it's right. not right this is horrible. Right. And I just want to say I completely agree with everything you said. Um, my entire family on both sides was military. I am literally the only person in my family that was not. Um, and these stories uh, definitely need to stay in the public uh, I have a platform, and if if there are more out there like this, bring them to me. Uh, come on my show, talk about them, because we will get the information out there and, and hopefully get some help. Most certainly, most certainly. And Janet, really quickly, though you may not have served in the military, you have a lengthy career in education mm -hmm. and in the health field, which is also committing yourself to the service of others. So thank you mm -hmm. very much for that. Thank you. Okay, guys. So as stated in the last chapter, during an interview on the Rock Newman podcast in 2016, attorney Watkins and Dr. Johnson explained in detail their findings, specifically the compelling forensic evidence or rather lack thereof. In addition to not having gunpowder residue on her hands or her fingerprints being found on the gun, no DNA evidence being found on the rifle, no bullet being found on the scene. No fingerprints found on the book of matches that were said to have been used to light a fire in the tent. So on top of her beating herself sen senseless, on mm -hmm. top of her putting some kind of corrosive acid on her genitals, on top of her shooting herself with an M16 rifle, she then tried to light the tent on fire. Because mm -hmm. that's How believable, too. Yeah, it's a hundred and ten already already with a dislocated shoulder and broken neck and gunshot wound to the head and genitals and, and on it, fire. Yeah, mm -hmm. 
again, like we stated in the very beginning of, of the uh, segment, you do not have to be a law professional, a professional investigator, someone who is a forensic scientist to understand this is impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, how could all of these factors be overlooked by professional investigators? Only one answer was plausible at the time and still today. Were the investigators instructed to reach a predetermined conclusion? Say that again. Were the investigators instructed to reach a predetermined conclusion? Instructed being a key word in that question. 100%. Before we dive into that question, I want to backtrack just three days before Lavina's death to a conversation she had with her father on July the 14th. It's very important. Lavina was responsible for opening and closing the base communication center. Now, on the 14th of July, she had called her father to describe an encounter she had with a general at the communication center that seemed odd. Now, for, for anyone who has served in the military, former or present, um, is, it, is it normal for a general to speak directly to a, a, uh, a soldier, a low-level soldier, or do they only relay their commands or instruction to commanders? Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. So this seemed odd. Now, in that conversation, she explained to her father that after six weeks in Iraq, she still had not been assigned a battle buddy. This alarmed her father, who insisted that she petition her commanders to immediately assign her a battle buddy. As would any father, he was alarmed to know that his 19-year-old daughter, 6,620 miles away from home, surrounded by men, had no one to watch her back. Lavina told her father that she could not simply petition her command to do so. And at that point, Dr. Johnson warned her to be vigilant in her own protection and that if she would not petition her commanders for a battle buddy, he would reach out to Congressman Lacey Clay for assistance. Lavina would be killed before he could ever make that call. Mm -hmm. When the Johnsons finally received Lavina's personal effects, there was a list on a notepad where Lavina had recorded the names of her chain of command. A name on the top of that list was a general who would become suspect number one. Suspect number one, a general in Ballad, Iraq, at Camp Ballad in 2005. So now we return to the question of how could the Army's investigators overlook all of these details unless they were instructed to reach a, a predetermined conclusion? This effort would certainly not have been coordinated for defense contractor or another private who had done this, the only way the overwhelming evidence could have been overlooked or tampered with was if it involved a member of the chain of command. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the only way the overwhelming evidence could have been overlooked or tampered with was if it involved a member of the chain of command. Hence the DLI list. Correct. Absolutely. So the next question became, well, who was in the chain of command? Well, it did not take long for Attorney Watkins to identify a general with serious issues. And that general was also the very first name that Lavina had listed in the notepad that was sent home with her personal effects. The motive was established shortly thereafter. Private Johnson inadvertently during an early morning run stumbled upon a love affair in progress involving a married commander who was previously ordered to cease the affair 
yet refused to do so and instead pushed to make the affair more clandestine. The totality of evidence surrounding Private Johnson's execution-style murder strongly suggests that the person who killed her is former four-star Army General Kevin P. Burns. He was third in seniority among the Army's 11 generals at the time. Burns, who was appointed to his command position by President George W. Bush in November of 2002, headed the Army's Training and Doctrine, or TRADOC, command for the 1st Cavalry Division. In his capacity, Burns supervised the recruitment and academic programs at 33 Army schools from basic training to war colleges. Private Johnson met General Burns in July of 2005, just a couple of days before her death. She had no way of knowing at the time that Burns was engaged in an extramarital affair with a civilian female and had been ordered by General Peter J. Schumacher, the Army's chief of staff, to end the affair. Burns, who was married, willfully disobeyed Schumacher's order and, as stated previously, elected to make his love affair more clandestine. In doing so, Burns risked being court-martialed for disobeying Schumacher's lawful and direct order. Private Johnson's discovery of Burns' continued adultery left him startled, afraid, desperate. Burns snapped and became violent toward uh, Private Johnson, who did not fight back because she was as shocked as he was. Burns was her commander, for Christ's sakes. During his assault on Private Johnson, Burns knocked some of her teeth backwards, broke her nose, fractured her neck, inflicted other serious injuries on her body. Private Johnson was then dragged into the contractor's tent where Burns staged the crime scene to make it look like Private Johnson had committed suicide. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, in consultation with President George W. Bush, fired Burns on August 8, 2005, just three weeks after Private Johnson's death and a mere three months shy of Burns' scheduled retirement date. The Army announced that it had relieved General Burns of his command for unspecified personal conduct. Pentagon sources leaked off-the-record information to the media that Burns was fired for disobeying General Schumacher's order to stop his extramarital affair. And on August 10, 2005, Huffington Post founder Arianna Huffington published a story that focused on Secretary Rumsfeld's historic firing of General Burns. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the allegations here are explosive. But again, the evidence pointing to Kevin Burns as the perpetrator of the brutal murder of an American soldier is overwhelming. He had the motive the means and the training to pull it off. So you may be asking, well, where is Burns now? According to an article published by Attorney Watkins in 2018, and according to his LinkedIn profile, today, today. Kevin Burns lives comfortably in Huntsville, Alabama, employed as a top executive for none other than Raytheon Defense Contractors. Hmm. Raytheon. So... That begs the question, like I said before, <clears throat> was it a Raytheon contractor? Because all of a sudden, Mr. Burns, oh, he, it was bad conduct. Of course, it didn't have anything to do with a murder or rape or none of that. It was because he was having an affair. Shame on you. Um, But was there some kind of deal? Hey, we're going to let you go from you know the armed services but we're going to get you this cushy job at raytheon okay here 
Raytheon contractor that was over there at Balad Air Base at the same exact time. Uh, you sign this non-disclosure agreement and you agree that if we fire this guy that you guys hire him. And now, uh, what was it that he, it says he's the vice president and uh, center executive at Raytheon. So how do you go from this to having a cushy job? And if you look up his net worth, that's real interesting too. Certainly is millions of dollars. Absolutely, My, absolutely mind blowing, Janet. Mind blowing, mind blowing. It's 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 infuriating, to be honest with you. I am beyond disturbed and disgusted mm -hmm. uh, by this, and I I'm just gonna say military or not military if i would have run across a case like this and seen these kind of details i would have the same exact response regardless of who it was this was such a cluster fuck mm -hmm. from the get-go and their quote investigation and their cover-up and putting this on a DLI list because it involved somebody and it could be a matter of national security was well, sure because the part my language son of a bitch is still working for the largest military government contractor that we do business with earning millions of dollars in annual salary while this 19 year old mm -hmm soldier this woman who who sacrificed herself for the better of the country during a time where we were in the very early stages of this 20-year war is in a cold grave i'm just i have a question i just want to pose this i almost feel like i always go with my gut instinct and my feelings on things I feel like this story about this affair with a civilian was bullshit. Mm. It was an absolute bullshit thing that was pushed out there in the press because uh, we're trying to cover why we're really getting rid of Burns. Mm. Um, because did anybody interview that woman? Does anybody know great, who great that question. woman is? Great question. I couldn't find a name. I couldn't find any Nothing. details whatsoever. Nothing. And we all know how good uh, three-letter agencies are at putting out... Front stories. Yes. Uh, and propaganda. And so the whole... That smells very badly to me. Um, this was definitely because you don't mutilate somebody's genitals without a sexual assault. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Um, but this whole thing smells really fishy to me. That backstory about the affair, because you know, as well as I do, that literally happens all the time. 
I mean, yeah, and look at what happened with General Petraeus. He was married, he carried on an affair, and he was relieved of his command. This was General Petraeus, a, a high-ranking military serviceman. Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely not unprecedented for sure. Yeah, and and to me, um, Petraeus wasn't relieved because of that reason. Petraeus was involved in a lot of stuff. Um, but honestly, I mean, how many service members do you know? that have you know had an affair wherever they're stationed at because they're gone so long it they do it with journalists they do it with civilians it literally happens all of the time and so this this story just uh, i don't know i just don't buy the whole this was over an affair business <clears throat> this is why it's so important for us to keep this story um in the spotlight so that mm-hmm. we can crowdsource information from military personnel who may have uh, been stationed in ballot Iraq alongside Mm -hmm. um, uh, PFC Johnson. This is so that we continue to, to poke holes into the narrative and figure out exactly what happened to at the very least bring some level of solace, uh, not just to the Johnson family, but, but to many other families, the Guillen Mm -hmm. family, Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the black family, the priest family, um, I mean, the list goes on. Well, and, on. and earlier you had mentioned uh, Pat Tillman, and I'm very familiar with that case too. You Tragic. know, um, and that was a that was a friendly fire thing. Mm-hmm. And initially, initially they said it was not a friendly fire. The uh-huh. friendly fire story came after their their uh-huh. initial conclusion. Right. And I mean, you know, just just listening to Pat Tillman's mother on the Larry King uh, show. I mean, she says it. This, this, this does not pass the smell test at all. Mm-mm. No, and there's so many. I can't tell you how many cases I've actually seen watching forensic files, um, mm-hmm. because I like to binge watch that sometimes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but these these things are so like incredible that they're allowed to get away with this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, not surprising. And our tax dollars pay for the cover-ups. 24 cents of every tax dollar in this country goes to fund the Pentagon. And then from there, the Pentagon sends it all over the world. Yeah. 24 cents of every dollar tax in this country. And the, the thing that gets me, too, is in like every one of these cases um, where there is a murder uh, and a cover-up, somebody gets promoted somebody mm-hmm. gets a high level cushy job at mm-hmm. uh either a military contractor so they're still making you know shit tons of money off the government mm-hmm. or uh they're put in you know like the military think tanks or you know anything having to do with the mer- military industrial complex it's like they're recycled into a higher position cool. so you go ahead and commit this murder and we'll just, we'll promote you. That's awesome. You can get this multi-million dollar job if you do this. What message does that send to the youth who, who have an idea of committing themselves to the service of the country? What message does that send to families exactly. who enter into this contract with the government to have their children go mm-hmm. out there and serve? I mean, it is, it is terrible. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, 
And then, you know, depending on what you do in the military, because I have a really good friend um, that's been on the show before, and I've been on their show a lot, uh, that's ex-military. He was in for a very long time and had a very um, interesting job. Uh, And he was under, like, you can't speak about things for a certain period of time, like 15 years or something. That you're wow. not allowed to speak against the military? Wow. Was not familiar with that at all. But then that would only mean that that, that time frame has already expired for people who may have been stationed in Iraq with 100%. That's why I brought that up. Because uh, you know darn good and well a, a military base is not isolated and desolate of people walking Mm -hmm. around in the middle of the night that can't sleep or outside partying or whatever. So, you know, darn good. Well, there's people that saw this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and guaranteed they were threatened into, you know, silence on this. Wow. I just, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that, Janet. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from a person like myself who, who, you know, um, Although I would have, I would have loved to, and in fact, I did try, but I never experienced the the life of military personnel living on the base and and you know having a contingent of men to your left and right that you would go into battle with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I can only imagine, you know, some of the suffering and grief that must go into that, and the mental fortitude that it takes to get past it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, it's really hard to 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 wrap wrap my head around. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I just want to say I can't thank you enough uh, for coming and talking about this because this case uh, and Vanessa Guillen's case and so many other people uh, that have been affected by something like this, uh, it's important. And the only, only way that any changes are ever going to be made is if people get really loud. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's beyond time um, to, to uh, be courageous in that. We have to stand by our convictions. We have to, mm-hmm. especially now at what seems like the end times. We, we cannot back down. We have to speak out against, you know, um, evil, even right. that exists. And, and the terrible things that, that you know, are, are done in the darkness. We have to shed light on these things. We have to come together as one, you know, um, when I think back on the military history of this country, uh, you know, from the Revolutionary War, uh, where you had 16, 17, 18, and 19-year-old men take up arms and cross that river with George Washington, um, you know, what, what, what went through their mind, aside from wanting to build up this great country right. uh, that, that would allow them to reconcile that sacrifice, you know? When, when I look at where we are from that time till now, it's, it's frightening to think that we don't honor those sacrifices by fighting for these men and women. Right. We have to. Right. We, we, we have to. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to thank you so much for, for allowing me uh, to jump on here with you today and to, A, highlight, highlight this story that I feel should not be obscured by darkness. Right. And to show support for military personnel. Um, I, I imagine that 
I imagine that much of your audience is either military family, military personnel, former and present, or just allies like right. us. Um, and, and, you know, I just want them to know that, that I'm an ally, you know, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to dig in to these reports. I've compiled a massive amount of information, uh, to share this because again, I don't want it to be obscured by darkness. And, uh, if, if you could just give me a, um, a minute or two, uh, left mm -hmm. Janet, uh, sure. I, I want to direct this particularly to, to anyone who may be, uh, you know, suffering from from the afflictions that, that, that this world puts on us today in, in the mental. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I put together a list of, um, of uh, Bible verses that uh, I would recommend you guys to, to look into um, if you're feeling any of these. Uh, if you're feeling weak, I would recommend looking into Psalm 18, verses 1 through 29. Uh, if you're feeling lonely, please look into Psalm 23. If you're feeling worried, please look into Matthew uh, chapter 8, verses 19 through 31. If you are unhappy, uh, please look into Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. If you feel that you're in danger, please reference Psalm 91. If you're feeling depressed, please uh, review Psalm 27. If you're feeling as though you, you lack faith, uh, please read Exodus 14. If you simply need courage, uh, please reference Joshua 1. If if you need direction, please reference Psalm 73. Um, uh, yeah, Psalm 73, um, 21 through 26. And if you're simply seeking peace, uh, please review Matthew 11, 25 uh, through 30. And um, uh, with that, Janet, again, I just want to express my gratitude for allowing me to jump on here with you today. I want to say thank you uh, for sharing those Bible verses. And I want to tell people um, there's a lot of times in this life that people uh, don't speak up because they're afraid. They're afraid of persecution uh, by others, ostracization, whatever. I messed that up. Um, alienation, you know, all of those kind of things. But think about this. Um, if you do believe in, in God, which I hope most of my listeners do by now, um, he went through the worst persecution of all and he knew it was coming and he still did it for the betterment of you. And so that is why, um, me personally, uh, finding my voice and speaking out for people that need someone to speak out for them is highly important to me. Um, being of service to other people has always been my thing and always will be. And so if there is anything that I can help anyone with, please do not hesitate to ask because I am extremely approachable and I will answer every person unless you said me something super creepy <laughs> and then I won't just say it. I agree with you. There. I had to throw that in there because I do have those kind of people too <laughs> that are not going to get a response anyways. Yeah. <clears throat> oh man. It was such a great, uh, such a great experience being on with you today. And if, if uh, anyone in your audience wants to get their hands on, on uh, the report that I compiled about this case, uh, Janet, you, you're welcome to share it. If not, um, my name is Noel Rodriguez. I can be found on uh, Substack. I recently just uh, created an outlet to uh, highlight some of my writings. Fantastic. I'm also on the, 
Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies on their Rockfin channel. You can find some of my uh, other articles there. And um, Rodriguez, 61285 on Instagram. So I've been barred from going live uh, for a while. I'm not sure when. <laughs> hmm, <laughs> I boy. Yeah, after, after my anti-human trafficking live in San Antonio, uh, I was I was barred from from live, so I'm still punished by the tech oligarchs. But uh, Rodriguez six one two eight five on Instagram, uh, I'd love to engage with you on that platform. And uh, best best of luck to you. Uh, thank you to your audience, and um, thank you to the Deplorable Nation podcast. And thank you so much for coming on today. It was an absolute honor and pleasure to host you today, and thank you for bringing such amazing investigative work and shedding light on this story and i just want to say god bless you and may he always keep you and and shine blessings on your family thank you so much it was my pleasure god bless you as well thank you have a wonderful day everyone and we'll see you next time have a good one